to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. Today, I am delighted to welcome Martin Kearney, Chief Operating Officer for Nexus Tynanweir Metro up in Newcastle in the northeast. Martin joins the railway as a trainee way back in the 1980s and has worked through his career in operational roles in control room. He's had a stint in international transport and is back in Newcastle um, running various different projects as well as the operations in uh, the Nexus. I'm delighted that he's joined us to share his career story and his thoughts and hopes and wishes for the future of the transport industry. Martin Kearney, Chief Operating Officer for Nexus up in the sunny northeast. Warm welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast. I've got you here in the end. I've got you on the virtual couch after all these months of asking. It's a delight to see you. How are you? Thanks, Dean. I'm good. I'm quite embarrassed, really, if anything. I, the first time you asked me, I think, was, was it Catherine O'Brien, your first one, or one of her first ones? Yeah. I remember you talking to me about this around that time. And I was, um, me? No. I think you're scraping the bottom of a barrel. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, definitely not. Um, I've known you, obviously, for a few years now, and I know your story, and I know that our podcast audience will be really interested to hear it. So in time-honoured Intuitive Insights fashion, what I'd like to start with is to go right back, Martin, to the beginning of your career, um, and I'd like to know why the transport industry in the first place. Talk to me about the roles that you've done and then bring us right up to date with what a week in the life of the Chief Operating Officer of Nexus looks like. Well, let me tell you a long story, Ben, because um, I'm going back to the 10th of July, 1989. Um, I now feel really old sharing that date, but um, <laughs> it's um, it's an unexciting start, really. Um, I was a teenager, desperate to leave school, but I was a boy. Um, and I think it's all right to say at that age, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So the dead honest truth was I was offered a job as a railway trainee on £69 a week. For some reason, it's a Yorkshireness in me. I remember the £69 a week. <laughs> I, I, um, so it was it was literally the first job offered. And the first one, I said, well, we'll do this for a little while and see where it takes me. And um, it doesn't take long to get in your blood, doesn't it, really? I don't no, believe. No. Um, I was only a trainee, actually, for six months. Um, it was very much the times where... Um, you'd become a trainee and but it was great in the respect of, um, I think it was, must have been a 25 or 30 of us. Um, and they find different roles for you, certainly at the lower end, and you get experience going around parts of the organisation. Um, I had a job created for me, I think it was, or certainly created. It was a new role, just in the admin um, in the January 1990. And again, that was just, it was quite short-lived, but it was a case of let's grab somebody. It seems okay. Um, before, I think my first real job was lead station rosters, and it's funny saying that now. Um, I was a I was a roster clerk for a few hundred staff on lead station, right. um, and as a 
going towards 17 years old, um, quite terrifying. So I'm saying I'm, I was a boy, you know, you've got these 50, 60 year old guys that have worked on the railway all their lives. And all right, I'm, I'm doing their rosters, I'm I suppose controlling their overtime, saying yes or no to holidays and things like this. Um, and it's probably one of the jobs that I pick, I'll pick out from my career that's character building. Um, to the extent, look, I've got to tell you the story. Um, as I settled in, I used to have a great Friday morning. Um, British Rail was fabulous. It was terrible, all in one thing for me. Um, it was the fabulous part was um, I had a guaranteed rest day work on a Saturday. Um, and I was, so for a 17 year old, I was earning quite a decent amount of money with guaranteed overtime every week. Yeah. But I soon worked out I could do my rest day work on a Saturday. I could do that work on a Friday afternoon and just turn up on a Saturday. Right. That was that was the good and the bad all in one. <laughs> all in one. So yeah. But it was so right for me at that age. I, yeah. I should probably admit that now, but it's but it was true. And I, I used to Friday morning when I used to post my rosters, I used to go sit in the shunters cabin at Leeds Station. Now, this is a character building bit. You learn so much how to interact, how to talk to people, what's important to people. Mm-hmm. And I'd sit with the shunters in the um, overalls and I'd take a blank roster down with, <laughs> with me yeah. and they'd supply me with cups of tea and they'd fill out my roster. I'll check it over and post it. But that was just a prime example of how good that was. And yeah. um, to know a bit about me and a bit about who I am, um, after about three years, three and a half years of doing that, I, I was like, Ugh. I probably didn't recognise what I was doing, but it was easy then. Yeah. Um, and I'd looked around at people similar ages and how they were progressing. We'd gone through organising for quality, and this is as we prepare for privatisation in the railways. Um, there'd been a big move from the area managers' organisation as it was in Leeds through to a lot more central organisation in York. Um, and I saw other people progressing f- further, even though I had my nice little number. And I thought, hmm, I'm missing out here. So I took on a um, grade-to-grade move. So this is me again. At that age, to lose money is quite something, but uh, lost yeah. some money. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I basically went and worked in HR, uh, and worked with employee relations and uh, input of pay and uh, fantastic experience. I, look, I, I didn't last forever in HR because it's it's not me. But when I think of thinking of the ages, I mean, I'm talking early nineties here. Um, for me to get exposure to uh, the local level union meetings, yeah. uh, disciplines, and to understand grading, pay, everything mm. else come mm. together was probably good exposure for when I became a manager later yeah. on. Mm. Um, and again, something I think, why did I do that? What? But actually, it gives you a good level of understanding and grounding. Of course it does, yeah. Um, a lot of confidence when you're put in those positions where others have had never had that exposure before. Mm. Um, so, yeah, good time. And throughout my career, I'll talk about amazing, great people that I've worked with. So yeah. I've been very, very lucky. Um I uh, got to a probably a stage, 
I've probably skipped a little bit there because otherwise we'll be talking for hours and hours and hours. Um, <laughs> got to probably about 1997. Right. And there was an opportunity where we were creating train crew resource supervisors, basically centralising um, the supervision of uh, drivers and conductors um, and bringing it all into a control room environment, um, background in rosters, and this was going onto shifts. Yeah. Mm. Um, something I could do. Um, massive step up. It was in, in the old railway terms, it was an E-grade supervisor. So uh, these were the, some of the best paid jobs on the railway. Really. Right. Um, you lose money generally when you go into management on shifts. Yeah. Uh, so it was a really, again, fantastic from a young young man's point of view. Yeah. Uh, seven days a week. Um, cutting your cloth, really, with, with understanding train crew. Um, understanding what challenges they have, working with people. Um, there's definitely a leadership part in that. Um, yeah. You know, um, we amazing times doing about this. Um, so many stories, so many I'm not allowed to share. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the, my shift partner back in, I think it was 97, um, He's, he leads Northern Rail's control rooms now. Right. Uh, Tony Ridley and, you know, lifelong friends you make throughout your railway career. Of course period. it is, yeah. I mean, I should say, my, my wife, who I married a few years back, um, I started the railway with in 1989. Yeah. And I'm still in contact with people back from there. Yeah. It's, it's fabulous. It's, There's uh, this expression, isn't there, which a lot of people use. I think it's even got its own hashtag now, a railway family. So and that and that is what it is. And I think for anybody who is outside the industry, you wouldn't you wouldn't know about it. And then when once you come in and you realise that despite the fact there are thousands of people employed in the UK rail industry, it is actually like a family. You 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 kind of that connection is quite special and quite unique, I think. Hundred percent. I mean it's it's funny, isn't it? You, I bump into people I've not seen for twenty years now. I love it, it's, yeah. uh, and that that that's the familyness I think about it. Yeah, and you understand the challenges people have. Um, you know, as as I said, I've I've probably been a lifelong railway person, and just um, understanding people from the top to the bottom is yeah. really really critical. So. Yeah. Yes, I had a fantastic time as a train service controller, a train, train crew controller and train service controller. I moved side to side to get more experience in the control room. Yeah. Um, I'll say it before somebody else would say I was probably terrible at that job. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't the best, but it was, these were quite tough times. I'm talking about the year 2000. Right. And I always remember Leeds Station having a really big upgrade and the overrunning engineering works and We'd have gone, already gone through driver shortages before then, and going home with headaches. But it, they were good times because yeah. you, like I said, that's when you really know who your friends are. And um, it's, I don't know if it's so much a northern thing where you go to work and they'll, they'll call you every name under some slight. You're not allowed to do it, obviously. But, yes, yes, that's what we call um, banter. I, yeah, I think that's what we call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. I still get it now if I bump into any of the guys, but they bring yeah. you, always keep you down to earth, keep your feet yeah. up the ground, and you, you know you're doing well if you're getting slagged off by the team. <laughs> That's a, a measure of success. 
Um, probably showing my character really. <laughs> I, I love that. I love. I love to hear um, what's correct banter in the work when people yeah. you know people are just getting on well with it. Yeah, exactly. So that was yeah. great times and great people. Um, again, um, I said I was earning a lot of money as an e-grade supervisor. I was. I was doing well. I'd gone through buying my first house and everything else, and. Um, I looked around at what everybody else was doing and I thought, I'm competitive. It's yeah. my nature, you know. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I'm still doing okay, but um, I, I've done this now. Yeah. What's, what's the next step? Time to move again, yeah. And we were still in the old railway uh, management. So I, I became a first manager at that point. Um, and I, I went to be a, a project manager for 18 months. Right. Um, we didn't have any money, so we didn't have any projects. So it was quite interesting times. <laughs> um, but however, I worked with a great guy, a guy called Trevor Slatter, who taught me so, so much. Um, now, Trevor was, um, apart from being a Chef, Chef Wednesday fan, uh, but apart from that, he was a great guy because he talked to me about much about process procedures, but also he had an immense self-confidence and you remember things that people say, and it's, I could do any job on the railway, mm. but there's some jobs that I wouldn't like to do. Yeah. And it's when people, when I repeat that, it stayed with me mm. because I thought, what an amazing statement. And first of all, it, it's not, it wasn't arrogant, mm. it wasn't, it was more a case of, I'll give anything a go. Yeah. And I loved it and it stayed with me because actually, yep, there's quite a few jobs I couldn't do. <laughs> I could only drive a train for a few days. I'm, yeah. My mindset, I'll be thinking about today, next week, next month. Absolutely, me too. Moment. Yeah. Um, and so there's jobs that I can't do and there's jobs that I wouldn't want to do. There's obviously competencies. And yeah. it really stayed with me and it helped build a lot, a lot of who I am today. Uh, in the self-confidence of actually self-belief, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, but yes, I did that for 18 months before going back into the control room. Right, it was <laughs> calling you back. <laughs> Opportunity, I think, at the time. There was a lot of changes taking place um, at that point. And um, I had the opportunity. We Our control room back in the late 90s was a load of desks just thrown together. And it, it's about understanding people, I think. Um, and understanding the drive and what what's what's right, I guess. Um, and I, I had the opportunity to write a business case um, and see the project through to the end. And you know, it was um, I created. A, uh, I think we Region Railways Northeast at the time, uh, or Northern Spirit. Northern Spirit. I think we've moved yeah. on. Um, we. Creating that business case and seeing us through to delivery and creating a new control mm. room that was performance driven. Um, and even just creating a, an environment for people to work, but also had the KPIs of them around it rather than it just be dirty old computers with desks thrown together. Yeah. We, the business case was built on improved performance and it absolutely uh, delivered. Mm. And uh, there was a lot of pride for me in that point because, yeah. because I talked about how I'd worked with these guys and then we were we wish they were starting to see the 
life could be better and different. So it was yeah. a, lot, a lot of engagement. Um, there must be a help. massive sense of satisfaction with something like that as well, because you've started with something. So you started kind of with a blank piece of paper almost because, well, we've just got all these desks all thrown together. We know what we want to get to. So your business plan took it through that. And there, there are not many jobs, I don't think, where you can actually then stand back and say, oh, here we go. We've we've actually completed the task. We've completed. And now, obviously, it's into day-to-day running. So they've got to meet the KPIs. But you've actually got it from there to there and it's ready to roll. Yeah, and I'll make you laugh now because, first of all, I, I, the funny thing was Pete Waterman opened it. So right. <laughs> just made it a big deal. <laughs> Of all the millions of pounds worth of projects I've had the last, I don't know, however many years, yeah, it's got to cost two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, oh and I'll talk goodness. about it more, more right. pride than a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah, that was the first thing I that was mine, and the first one. And it was a really big deal. Yeah, um, and a catalyst because it was successful. I became duty control manager, um, which I enjoyed, and uh, it was a it was a good job. Obviously, shift work. Um, but to, at this point, we were bec- becoming Northern Rail, yeah. Um, so bringing together the Northwest and Northeast. Um, and one of the big jobs that I had was uh, bringing those t- two teams together, mm. um, negotiating a staff restructuring package, which will have been a first for me, yeah. Um, creating control room grades, um hugely successful as well um because it's one control team in two locations and i know that's gone on strength to strength since since those days um and that progressed into assistant service delivery manager and service delivery manager basically um quite quickly i suppose moving from when i talked about my first management role this yeah. was going into very senior um leadership roles um with quite a decent sized team and quite a lot of responsibility, but um, I loved it because I'd created the control. We then went to the co-location with Network Rail and other right. tops, and um, having that experience, that was relatively, I might not have said it was time, but relatively straightforward project, mm. but then actually leading the team for continuous improvement through the competence systems. Um, and I guess... Yeah, but bringing the the teams together with Network Rail and the other talks was an was another challenge in itself. But mm. I loved it, and I was um, I was certainly I remember leading controller workshops um, for the nationally at that point, and I felt I was probably at the stage where again you'll have heard me say this already. What next? Yes. Uh, there's a definite theme here, Martin, isn't there? It's like, yeah, you've you've no, done it. You've done, exactly, but you've done, um, you've achieved what you set out to achieve. So rather than kind of like sit and just be comfy, it's kind of right, what's next? It, it's not something that's a conscious decision, or you say, one day I'm ready for it to move. It's something you, you, you realise, especially in reflection. I'm quite good at self-reflection and looking back yeah. and understanding why. And you look and you say, I was ready for something new. I didn't have a clue what that would be. Mm. It's not a case of making a choice. It's being very aware that I've probably got it to the stage where it's ready for somebody else to 
take on and yes. something else. I've yeah. achieved what I wanted to achieve. So um, you can probably tell I'm flying through years very quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I'm on. So I'm on 2011 now. Right, blimey, <laughs> um, we have gone quick. Well. There was a lot of jobs there, from duty control manager to um, where I think it was about three years to assistant service living manager, service, service living manager. Uh, they were quite combined at that point. So you're probably talking another four or five years in there. Yeah. So it's, um, but yeah, and that's, there was a lot as well. Looking at my background, I had to understand with train planning. Um, and I guess other safety critical management roles have been, I've led. So yeah, uh, and, it, and and all that learning I think as well. Do you know that as you as you kind of talking us through each role and there's different things, like different perspectives that you've got. Do you know like with the with the HR role for example, it's kind of not not everybody thinks about going into that particular business function because it's like oh well I'm not you know I'm not HR and it was and you and I both know when you were in it it was personnel it wasn't HR because right. <laughs> I remember those days I think that's when I met your Caroline personnel yeah yeah so you're picking up all these different jobs that you've done you can see on reflection what you've learned from them even the one by your admission, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of saying this, but you've said you were terrible at one of them. So it's kind of even, even that one, you've learned and you're bringing it and you're building up your portfolio of skills, aren't you? So that you can then go on and do the bigger roles. I don't think officially I was terrible, but I wasn't as good as most of us. <laughs> <laughs> I could just about do it. Your words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know me by now. I'm bluntly honest, and absolutely, yeah. I, I don't see that as a fault. I'm afraid. No, it's one <laughs> of the one of the many things I admire mm-hmm. about you. So we're at 2011. Where are you now at this point? Well, so this is when I'm ready for something new. I don't know what that looks like, and. Um, we were in um so northern was the abelio um organization in circo and i, I was sat but this is we were at uh, it must have been a leadership event in london i remember being sat on a bus being transported to an event and i had um steve butcher and rob warren sat behind me i think and they were talking about some job and i heard my name and i turned around and said what's that Anyways, progress. We were be looking for a head of operations um, for the northeast of Northern, and uh, they were just obviously chatting about potential people to do with that. Um, big jump from a control room. Um, so I moved over to went through the process. Obviously, it was good competition and everything else, but um, became head of operations for Northern. That was. Train crew depots from Carlisle, Newcastle, down to Leeds, Hull, Sheffield, Doncaster, uh, Skipton, Huddersfield. There's loads of them. <laughs> Missed about five there. Right. Um, so it's a it's a big job. We've about big 40, area. I think it's about fourteen hundred staff around that time. Wow. So it was, um, but you realise it doesn't it doesn't matter really if it's six hundred, a thousand, three thousand staff. You you know you, your leadership ability is similar. You've just got you can you divide that uh, in the best way you can to be as visible as you can, um, and I was I was enjoying that role. But this is this is where I suppose the the career gets a bit more interesting. Um, 
I was settling in as you do. You you know made a few quick wind changes. Um, the team were doing an amazing job, um, and the you know the people I had there were just really really good. Uh, and I, I remember it being I was back working in Leeds. I've been working in York most of my career, but, um, so I was I was happy because we spoke more about my accent with my language. <laughs> Um, the uh, it was one end of May, one Friday, it was pouring down with rain. I'll never forget it being raining. And um, I took a call from a recruiter. Um, would you like to talk to us about a job in New Zealand? And I think in my head, let me think about that for a second. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it was quite calmly. Yeah, I'll have that chat. Yeah, and, um, yeah so it, that's how it kicked off. It, it was a, a process, obviously, to follow. Yeah. In all honesty, I thought, where the hell is that? Yeah. Um, I had to get a map out, um, which is quite embarrassing, really, but it's not the sort of place you go straight away onto the map and put your yeah. finger on. And um, I didn't know anything about New Zealand. So mm. um, I went through the process, and um, they offered me the job initially of Chief Operating Officer in Auckland. Um, I said, I can't. I can remember feeling I was really cheeky, but and remember, this is a kid who started on the railway. So, you, all right, I was doing a very senior job. Um, but for somebody to come and talk to you about international recruitment, so, sounds very uh, attractive. Mm. I said, um, I've never been there. There's no way I could make a decision without visiting. And it's absolutely the right thing of to do. Of course it is. Yeah. I, I felt really nervous at asking. Um, but they said absolutely, and I remember they flew us out for a week. Oh, anybody that's travelled the other side of the world for a week, God, that was hard work. Yeah, uh, the jet lag both ways was hard. To, first time I'd flown that far. Um, yeah, and we were really lucky because we landed on the Friday. It was awful. I got the, the, the guy in charge of HR met me at the airport. I'd just been on a flight for about twenty six hours, and you're on a week's long interview. If yeah. You, of course, yeah, yeah. So it's um, quite challenging. But I had one day off and we went wine tasting on a little island called Wahiki. And yeah. that's that was it. Yeah. <laughs> you, were, you were sold. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely sold. So yeah. in the dis- I mean, that, there's a lot more to it because you, you don't make a, an international decision timing. My house was on the market, yeah. getting ready to move on. If I'd have bought a new house, I'd have probably said no because I was settling in this different lifestyle. Yeah. And um, I also said, the, the also little um, story I, I honestly tell is I was a season ticket at Leeds United, season ticket holder. Yeah. And the football was that bad that year um, in 2012. I said, I'm not going to get a season ticket next year. I'm just going right. to turn up if I'd have had a season ticket, if I'd have paid money for two years, <laughs> turn down the job. Um, you really are a Yorkshireman, Martin. <laughs> through and through. Uh, through yeah, and through. Can't, can't change that, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's very very straight, very honest. And yeah. um, so we we moved over just before Christmas in 2012 to Chief Operating Officer in Auckland. Loads, the amount I learned. I spent four years in Auckland. Um, mm. uh, I was Chief Operating Officer and Managing Director there. Um, and it's a similar size as of the metro here, um, a tiny way. Yeah. And, um, we went through uh, electrification, brand new fleet, um, which 
was not easy. It was a mm. tough job, um, a full uh, network transition of fleet. Um, it doesn't happen easily. No. Uh, and I think one of the things that I learned, I, probably at fault, you assume, and um, we're all guilty of it. Yeah, of course. And I got to New Zealand and assumed that they would have the processing systems very similar to what we have here. Yeah. Um, in the UK rail industry, and uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a lot of work to do, uh, certainly with regards to safety KPIs um, right. and some really serious challenges. And, and then you have this um, guy from the UK coming over and say, oh, my God, look at this. We need to tackle some of this. Right. But also, how do you communicate that? That you get buy-in, that people understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a great saying from New Zealand: "She'll be right." Um, don't, no one was killed. Yeah. Nothing happened, and I'm like panicking. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you can nearly predict what was going to happen. So I was lucky. I made some absolute brilliant friends over there. Uh, some people that have got long industry records. Um, I feel like I'm using names. I sorry for this, but. Uh, yeah. uh, an engineer, Mike Yeoman, a uh, fabulous friend. He was over here visiting us from New Zealand not long ago. And uh, Hugh Bridges, a, a safety professional, um, along with Karen Tulliver, uh, who we've out, she worked with me for seven years. Without, there's no way I'd have stayed in these jo- in the jobs abroad because she was right. just a great support. Yeah. And I think they're just to name a few, but you can't, without people, you can't do anything. No, that's what it's um, all about. And to, to wind it up into a small, in that four years, not only did we implement the new fleet, which was massive, it really helped boost patronage performance. But even before the new fleet came along, we were able to increase perform, performance by 7%. Mm. Um, and when we left one um, safety awards for the changes we put in place. Right. Um, and I had my first serious a train crash while I was over there. Um, nobody died, but it was a catalyst for improvement where um, we were were already well along the way of explaining even driver recruitment, competence management, and really having a real change put in place. Mm. Um, But it it probably helps that belief a little bit more of said, yeah, things have got to change. This is getting a bit serious. Um, But yeah, a fantastic place. Um, We... We got married there, had a daughter there. Yeah. Um, the most beautiful country. If you've never been, you must go to New Zealand. Love it. Mm. Um, but guess what happened after four years? <laughs> it's got itchy feet happening again, Martin, by any chance? But actually, that's the words I used. I had a CEO, uh, I don't know if it was CEO, but he was uh, based in Paris. I was working for Transdev. And um, Richard, in my worst French accent, Desjardins. Um, and I bumped into him on a flight recently. He's a fantastic guy. I always got him open. Yeah. I remember going in and saying, I'm getting itchy feet. And I thought back and think, I think that was quite quite brave, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's some... honest, though, Martin, is, is what it is as well. So, yeah, brave, but but honest. For some people, to walk into your boss and say, I'm getting itchy feet, and it's, yeah, well, okay, time for a change. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... I remember what he said. He said, um, you're going sailing. And I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Um, and I just, I remember 
my, my, my wife's Nina said to Nina, I don't know what it means. Um, she get a bit nervous. What's that about? Yeah. Um, so TransDev offered me the opportunity to become um, managing director of Sydney Ferries. Right. Um, and Sydney wasn't a place that we initially wanted to go to. Right. It, it just, it was it's huge. Yeah. It's busy. So a massive contrast to New Zealand life. Oh, unbelievably yeah. so. And and we we turned down an opportunity to go there a few years prior. Um, but if you like, my job wasn't done in Auckland. Yeah. Um, so I went over to Sydney Ferries. Very, very different uh, challenges. Um, two challenges really were there was um, the relationship with the client wasn't perfect. Mm on my arrival um, and the union environment were, I'll say, I'll just say it was very, very tough and yeah. had a very tough reputation and probably leave it at that. Yeah. But it was something that you don't experience in the UK industry, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and going over there, I can't be anybody else but me. I'm not going to pretend to be something. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't. It's just not part of me. You can always tell if I'm trying to put something on. It's um, You can read me a mile away. Mm. Um, I got on really, really well with the client. So mm. that was easy. Because, again, you can only hear what I'm saying. What I'm yeah, saying. yeah. Uh, I'm the biggest challenge was we were coming up to the end of a contract, so mm. up a new contract. And if you've got a rubbish client relationship, you're not really going to win the contract. It's really only going to go one way, isn't it, to be fair? Yeah. And I know that we, you can't really say that, but if you've got a bad relationship, you, you're stuffed really. Yeah. Well. And the union relationship wasn't fabulous either. Um, and I like, whatever I do, I'm always visible. Um, mm. uh, going to one of my many, many things that I learned and was either, I think, was either from Heidi Mottam or Diane Crowder, that used to say, always on show. Yeah. Um, and I, but I believe that, but you, you've always, you've actually go out and, and you've got to see the people as well and yeah. hear from you. Um, so I, I just spent, as you do your first few months, spending hours upon hours. It was really tough spending hours going up and down on a ferry it was on Sydney Harbour. <laughs> <laughs> I, I joke about it now, but you know, the best job in the world in so Absolutely. Yeah. But you know, the people were so brilliant. Um, this reputation of this union environment. Yeah, the union was there to be dealing but the people were so great. Yeah. Um, and would do anything for you and work with you. And uh, I would love to just go sit in their mess rooms and just yeah. have a chat or, or on a weekend to go and see everybody working. Because, again, you're just getting a ferry around Sydney Harbour. It's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> so... I ended up having a really good relationship with the union as well um, because it was straight talking, straightforward. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. quite a lot of effort, I think. Is, uh, um, and we won a new nine-year contract, um, which uh, I think was $1.3 billion at that point. Nice. Uh, and, yeah, lots of challenges in that contract. But yeah, three years there, it was a case of... I'd also taken on the responsibility of Brisbane Ferries Auckland Rail and Wellington Rail under my portfolio. Right. But they were, had some, it's always about the people. 
great people in charge of her. It is. And, you know, I, I just, I'm listening to you, right? And, you, and you're kind of saying to us, so I had this time in Sydney and I used to bob up and down in the harbour in my, in my boat and I just was, was visible. And then I had a good relationship with the client and I had a good relationship with the union. We obviously can't go into this. We haven't got time to go into the, the kind of how you did that. But I'm feeling like I just need to draw attention to the fact that whatever you did in that, it's not just about kind of it, it is about being visible, but it's about, I think, what you bring to the party is that ability to just be yourself. What you see is what you get with you, isn't it? And I think that is a massive part combined with your um, with your willingness to be visible and your understanding of the importance of being visible that gets you to the stage where there's a going from a relationship where we don't think we're going to win this contract again to a nine-year contract by bobbing around in the ferry in the harbour in Sydney and chatting to people. I just feel like I just want to, it's it's not easy stuff that you do, but you you make it look really easy. I think um, I'm one of these people that when I, if I was nervous, people wouldn't tell. So yeah. I'm quite lucky in that respect, but I, I can't, I can't be anybody else better apart from who I am. Yeah. Um, uh, relationships are incredibly important. Mm. And the relationships, I don't care what job title people have got. Um, obviously, there's a respect comes yeah. uh, with a job title, but actually, it doesn't matter if you're the deckhand, the master, you're working in the office, you're a client. It, a job, what I, I always say is my job title doesn't make me. Yeah, who I we're am. all people, aren't we? Yeah. We're all people, and we're and we're all kind of we're all in this together. So you've kind of in Sydney, then you've gone from ferry to also Brisbane ferries to then having some of the the rail businesses brought into your portfolio as well. Yeah, I've got to admit, at that point, it was a case of they all had managing directors in place, so it was a case of okay, what 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 did I want to be, and what where did I want to go, and we'd yeah. had. Um, personally, we'd both lost parents throughout the time of being abroad. Um, we were renting houses. And we, we, we said we're getting to that age where we need to grow up. Um, <laughs> and Sydney's extremely expensive as well to, to purchase what we wanted. Yeah. And um, we'd, we'd come to the conclusion it was time to come home. Yeah. Uh, and we said, okay, well, that's, you, when you decide to move on, if you like, in a workplace, it's a strategic decision, isn't it? Because um, you you can't need you to the first thing that's in front of you. You've got to be prepared with your family to move and be ready to make that big commitment. Mm. And um, I remember I was uh, at the decision week. I, I do I do my roll my sleeves up and get on with things. I don't hold back. Mm. Uh, when we decide that as a family, I think I I'd seen my current role. Uh, advertised on link, LinkedIn mm. from yourself or one of, I think it might have been Caroline. And um, I was also in discussions about a different role in the UK as well. Yeah. And, uh, I think it was a case of there's something exciting taking place in the Northeast. Um, it's a city, Newcastle, where, where I am now. Yeah. It's a city that I, I knew but didn't know really well yeah China Way Metro I'd, um, I'd been on it but I didn't know very much about it so 
and there's a the attraction for me was I've got I've got ferries, I've got my shields ferry, mm. um, I've got bus contracts, um, I've got the Tynaweir Metro, but that's not it really. We're vertically integrated. Yeah. So um, anybody that knows the region will we're classed as light rail, but uh, we're my <laughs> my network here has responsibility for carrying a 32 wagon dangerous goods now if that's light rail and you're right. <laughs> light rail that's something a little bit different you know yeah. um, and we've got projects we've got a 362 million project for uh and i think what looks like the building looks amazing incredible new depot um and we've got a new fleet a contract with stadler to provide us a new fleet with the first train expected to arrive, I'll say on the 1st of December, roughly around that date, right. um, to go into service next year. So um, that's challenging, uh, but exciting as well. Mm. So you, you can see the attraction here, um, as, as well as being a PTE, we, we were really, we were in desperate need of change, you know, yeah. The capital investment to upgrade the uh, network, the infrastructure, is so, so needed, but needing long-term deals mm. um, so that we can replace all of our overhead lines and so that we can get on a programme of renewals, mm. um, which is something that's totally different to where I've been before. Obviously, I've had assets, but not not the infrastructure side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we're driver-only. We don't have ticket offices. We push a smart card for our services. Yeah. You know, does this sound familiar to where a lot of places want to be? Absolutely, um, yeah. We've got excitement whilst we've got people challenges. Um, tw- only 26% of my workforce at the moment, I've got over 1,000 um, employees here, mm. uh, are female. Mm. That's a massive challenge. Yeah. So we, we've just created our people and culture strategy now um and we you could argue we're, we're a bit behind the ball but actually there's learnings to be done as massive of opportunity to be honest i mean at 26 percent, you're probably leading the way martin in the well, in the uk rail industry because it's the represent the female representation is is not brilliant and but although it is better gender representation is better than um, the, the the ethnic minority side of things because we're not great at that either. So the no, whole diversity piece is is a massive challenge for the whole industry. Well, I'm proud to say that out of about 37% of those are in senior leadership roles. Right. Um, I've certainly significantly increased the amount of uh, diver- gender diversity on mm. my senior team here, but um, that's going to take some time. But it's yeah. also the thought process behind it's the um, and it, you, you're right when it's not just about gender. It's the inclusion, it's the celebrating events such as Diwali and the education mm. around the organisation has been phenomenal yeah. in this last few years. I loved mm. the photos of you all at Pride. I thought that was, I just loved them. There was a brilliant one of you. I'm sure you had some glitter on your face. It was just <laughs> fabulous. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Newcastle well, that, Pride. That's a prime example, isn't it? That's, that's something that we've never done before, and we were mm. we were huge representation and part of the organisation as well. 
Um, the only downside, that's where I got COVID for the first time. Oh, remember, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah. amazing, and I think a lot of this is actually getting the people together and just enjoying ourselves, but actually being part of understanding but we can't stand still. And we've got in this country, I feel like I'm preaching now to you, but all people, uh, we've got a recruitment challenge. Mm. We're really oh, yeah. struggling to recruit. Yeah. Really struggling to recruit. And it's not, first of all, the, the visible part was probably um, the lower paid roles, mm. uh, but actually it's throughout the organization. It's yeah. more and more challenging. And we've got to be different. So for, for us to, to put in a, Agile working is not never heard of where we are here. Um, and they're all of the trying to make sure that we are attractive to come and join. Um, and Nexus is changing, it's really exciting. Yeah, that whole kind of employer value proposition has never been as important as it is now. And there's there's so much that organizations could be doing to make themselves more attractive which is kind of which is a, is a whole other conversation but it brings us some of the stuff that that you're saying now martin brings us nicely into the the this kind of second half if you like of this conversation which is around your your three wishes so um so i, I kind of have this this question for you that says if I was to pull my magic wand out of my bag and say, right, Martin Kearney, I'm giving you three wishes for what the things that you would like to see happen in the UK transport industry to make it better than it is today, what would those three wishes be? I always think answering this makes life sound so easy. It does. I, um, I absolutely I, agree. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I've got to be care, careful here. Um, however, I probably got ten wishes, but I'll only give you three. <laughs> the top three. One of, one of the key things that I probably not covered so much today is um, on customer experience. Oh. Uh, we've got to get it right as a rail industry, but also as a transport industry. And when you start off with customer experience, you've got to start off with that ticketing. We've got to be better. We've got to be more integrated. Um, I didn't. In some ways in transport, we, we've got to remove some of the competition angles mm. and make it easy for the customer. Um, less searching, less, much 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 easier. Yeah. Um, and learn from other people who have done it. Um, when you're going onto stations and you, you're looking and you've got to think from a customer's view, which which company do I go to? Well, actually, mm. what are we playing at? Yeah. Know, there are some discussions that are taking place that actually one person on that station needs to represent the station. Yeah. That's a real passion yeah. of mine. I say I'm making it sound very easy, but yeah. um, I think the customer experience, we nationally, I think, specifically in rail, but actually you get across transport here and say, yeah. how can we make that better? Absolutely uh, agree. And I think what we need to look at is look at the competition angle of things, mm. because I'm a great believer that the franchising system has worked um, and has helped us drive innovation through the industry, mm. but compete within for the um, franchises or whatever the next step that will be. Mm. However, once you're in, you're not really competing against each other. No. And but I, I'm not a great believer of competing one train company against another. Actually, let's <laughs> which. <laughs> 
let's make a decision what's the best service to get a customer from A to B yeah. and let's it. so yeah. not an easy solution to make but um one that should but comes into my third one is um people talk about the priorities in rail and i've always kept this simple safety has got to be given yeah it's the first thing we look at it's always but we've got to perform well Mm. we know how evidence tells us for years and years and years but if you're high performing customers come back to you yeah we're in a time now that as an industry our reputation isn't fantastic um we've got industrial relations challenges all over the place Hmm. Uh, strikes taking place yes i know there's a cost of living crisis we've got to look after our people as well we mustn't forget these are our people we're yeah. responsible for them yeah we're responsible for looking after them hmm. let's try and do this together yeah is it so difficult but we can't find a way of working forward together i'm making it sound easy i know but i'm very passionate about this but so yeah. we if we don't get customers back on our trains and back into onto buses, onto our transport systems, then the harder this becomes. The more challenges we have industrial relations, the more the reputation damage becomes. Yeah. And yeah. people make the choices we don't want them to do. Absolutely but agree. Yeah. To add to that, I'd probably say we're not in competition with people working from home. Mm. That's a discussion I have around here quite often. Yes. Yeah. I'm not in competition. I don't no. want people with cars. That's yeah. my competition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If a, if a new modern way of working is hybrid, whatever it will look like, yeah, and that's fine. I'm not competing about people being at home, mm. but let's make sure we've got a good service that people choose transport. Yeah, perfect, perfectly put. And like you say, it does. When I ask this question, and no matter how supercharged my wand is, then it's always one of these. It's like I know it sounds easy. I know it sounds simple, and we know it isn't. But actually, I think as an industry, we do have an ability to overcomplicate things when actually let's just keep going back to the basic principles of what are we here to do and how do we do that well? So thank you for your top three. And so to leave us with some pearls of wisdom, Martin, to to bring our conversation to a close. Mm -hmm. There's been so much that you've shared with us that's really kind of triggering different thoughts off with me about the importance of reflecting on the roles that you've done throughout your career what have you learned from them because there's certainly roles in my career when I look back and I hated them I there was one not many I would have to say there's probably two but one of them I used to cry on my way to work because I didn't want to be there um and it's kind of what what did when I look back and I think god yeah that that job was the job that really helped me understand how to influence people who didn't like me. That's what that was all about. So, you know, and and yeah, and I'll not name names, but thank you to the person who gave me that lesson in life. Um, so there's loads of wisdom in what you've shared with us already, but but share share a, a saying or a quote or something which means something to you that you use on a regular basis, which kind of helps inspire or focus you. Um I'm going to share a few. I'm full of little one-line sayings. That all yeah. I hate it about myself. I'm going to share the first one that I hate, and I think it's from the book. But, but, but what, what I'm going to share is a few quotes I've been given or a few sayings that 
I've I've probably stolen from different people saying them over a few years. Yeah. And the one, that, the one that I really despise, but it's so true, um, is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Right. Yeah. Um, and for anybody watching, just let that sink in. Yeah. Because you can have the best plans you like if you don't have a culture. You oh, don't you are so right. You can yeah. forget it. But you I do really so dislike right. that one. I think it's too cheesy. Uh, <laughs> it is, but it but it hits home, Martin. If you do, if you when you just hear it off the cuff and it's like, what? But yeah. when you actually when you think about it, you it's so right. And there's a lot of people with strategy in their title. Um, and not so many have got culture in the title. So go figure. A couple of others I'll leave you with then is, um, I've already mentioned one, is you're always on show as a leader. Yeah. Never forget that. Um, yeah. No matter where you are, what you're doing, you're always on show. Um, the mirror test is one I always tell with my team. Can you look at yourself in the mirror? Can you ask yourself, is this the right decision or what is the right decision to make? Um, because that's when making tough decisions as well. Um, I'd probably two others as well. It's not what you do, but how you do it that matters. Yeah. That's that's one that would have probably come from my mum. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, she would have and we would talk about influences. My God, she had five kids and she's a strong woman. Yeah. She's um absolutely a big influence on me. But that's one that she would probably say. And then the final one is at the end of each week, what have you achieved this week? Yeah. Reflection one. Mm. And I, I just think um you can't do that every day, but for me. Each week you can ask yourself, have I actually achieved anything? What have I achieved? Yeah. And reflect. That's so important. So important because in the lives that we lead where time just flies, weeks and months go past and you can end up, I know I certainly do, thinking, well, where, where's the time gone and what have I achieved in that time? So that importance of sitting down on a regular basis, ideally weekly, you know, Friday evening right what have I done this week what have I actually moved forward what have I achieved because there's loads of stuff there but we tend to always be um and obviously one of your 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 traits your personal traits is what next but actually <laughs> yeah but what have I done what have I done let's acknowledge that before we then say and now what next yeah definitely Martin, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I always do. I love your company. You know I do. I find you really interesting and I, I love your stories as well. I just wish we had more time to share more of them. Um, but you and I will do that over a bottle of something red nearer to Christmas, I think would be a plan. And um, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for being game enough to come and join me on the podcast. I do appreciate it very much. Um, and uh, you and I will see each other soon. Take care. Thank you, Nina. My huge thanks to Martin for joining me on the Virtual Intuitive Insights podcast couch. I hope you've enjoyed that episode and we will be back with you shortly with more career stories from people in the UK transport industry. 